0: hello and welcome to episode 110 of the fuel hotel marketing podcast i'm your host stuart butler and i'm joined today by pete DeMeo.
1: hey everybody welcome back to the podcast
0: and melissa How
1: howdy you?
0: and we have a four-time repeat guest this is a record for, for a non-Fueligan, but we're joined again today by Ricky Dunbar and Flip2.
2: And I'm not letting go of the title. It is securely mine at this point.
0: Yeah, I would say, tr- what, what is f- when you do four or something? Four Pete. Is it four a four Pete. Pete? I think so. Oh, and we it's have a three Pete. Pete. Yeah, we got a Pete. We got two Pete, four Pete, seven Pete, nine.
1: Ricky's been on more than most of our employees.
0: Indeed, yeah. I, I think go. he's probably got Brittany beat, yeah, and maybe maybe Jeremy and, and Alyssa, yeah, pos- yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So with the exception, yeah. So you're the fifth most popular host or populist host, I guess, on the show. Congrats. As
2: voted by the audience too. Don't forget that.
0: This is no. You're number one <laughs> voted by the audience. Right? <laughs> oh, better. There we go. And we've also got a, a, a newbie to the show as well today, making her debut is Kelsey Skinner from uh, Navis.
3: Navis, yeah, first timers club here.
0: So, Nav- so Navis got is a long way an way awesome go, company we've worked with for a long time. And what is your role yeah. there?
3: Yeah. So I'm currently head of marketing for the awesome. Navis brand. Yeah. I like
0: how you said currently. That means she's gunning for the CEO position. Did you guys hear that? You're
3: always <laughs> shooting up. Always shooting up. Yep.
0: There you go. That could be misconstrued. CMOs make
3: the best CEOs, they say. This
0: is true. I agree with that 100%. So the reason we have these special guests on the show today is we're doing a follow-up to... We did episode 96 was on influencer marketing. And it was a very kind of generic top level, what is influencer marketing, that kind of stuff. And uh, we wanted to get real today. We wanted to get some data. We wanted to get really in the weeds and, and give you some tangible stuff to take home from that. So... It's a follow up to episode 96. If you haven't listened to that episode, go back and listen to it. It's a good foundational episode. But today we're going to really get in the weeds. But before we do that, what's going on in
1: the news of ruse? Do I have to sing again? You do have to sing. Ah, every time, Right. With hotel marketing that cannot lose, now it's time for news of ruse. What did you guys think of that? Wasn't that pretty good? That was pretty good. I didn't do any snapping
2: or, you
0: know, no head wobbling
2: today. Yeah yeah the tempo was spot on uh, like that. Well, well, he can he hold a pitch. pitch you know a couple I of mean, weeks you're a
3: little you were a little sharp but... <laughs> yeah. but, i mean the i don't want to point dog. that out as the first time yeah.
1: <laughs> not for me dog not for me Always
0: a <laughs> critic. <laughs> man we might have to invite her back man she's already criticized <laughs> I
1: know. <her>. it's terrible <laughs> it's on the Highly show for five, five minutes i'm <clears Highly clears throat> feeling throat> right at home now so, but go. yeah so so this week's newsroo is from hotel news now and it's, a, it's more of an illegal opinion type article. called say Ho- an illegal opinion? <coughs> a legal, okay. more of an opinion type article than a, a news type article. But the headline is, hotels are grappling with accessibility on websites. More or less what it's talking about is how we've seen an uptick in lawsuits f- directed toward hotels who do not have their site up to the standards of the American Disabilities Act or ADA and we've seen that personally with some of our clients who have been hit with lawsuits both for the the layout of a site but more specifically we've seen people hit with lawsuits not so much because of the, the development of the site but because of the content on the site as it, off, right? To, right, as it relates to physical accommodations that the hotel makes so the site might be completely ADA compliant which we always do audits of our client sites, but in this case, we did not have information on the property site about on site accom- uh, I guess accommodations for you know, disabled yeah. guests, such as you know a certain height beds, 36 inch wide doors, ramps, things like that that are on the physical property and this article kind of goes into detail about the specifics of some of the suits that have been you know brought in the past and just something that if you are running a hotel, this is one of those things that you can do to f- fix this issue before it ever becomes an issue.
0: Yeah. And we talked about it a lot. We, we did an episode. It was episode 85. We actually talked about WCAG 2.0 AA. You remember that episode? If you're looking for a boring episode to listen to, this is <laughs> but, the one. Um, we, you know, we kind of went through the, the, the nuts and bolts of what you need to do to be considered quote unquote ADA compliant now it, it's very grey it's not you know written in law what you specifically have to do but they're really really good guidelines out there and WCAG 2.0 is an A on AA probably what you want to look look at in a in the hotel space and try to follow those but we hear a lot of noise in the industry, right? We hear a lot of people complaining about how difficult it is, how someone can come and you can put all the money in the world into your website and make it ADA compliant. And then someone adds an image in and you're not ADA compliant. And that that's where you're liable at that point. I, I haven't seen any lawsuits where that's been enforced, right? I think that's a little bit disingenuous. I think it's a little misleading, a little bit fear and, and, the conversation I had earlier today on it, this week in Hospitality Digital Marketing, um, which is hospitalitydigitalmarketing.com digital slash live. You can go watch the recordings of that show. But it, it got pretty contentious when we we're talking about this because you know, that that point was raised about, okay, man, it's a pain in the ass, blah, 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 blah. It's, it's a commitment. You've got to invest money, yada, yada, yada. But Tim Peter made a really, really good point, which I don't think enough people really think about, which is there's a large percentage of the population that have a disability of some form or fashion right whether that's visual impairment and and that affects how they navigate the website or it's a physical disability that affects how they stay with your property so regardless of what, what hoops you have to jump through and what you are frustrated about having to do because of the the frivolous lawsuits you should really be focused as always in everything you do you should be focused on the guest and if you know, 5 to 10% of your potential guests have some form of disability, which is the the stat, then shouldn't you be doing everything you can to accommodate them within the best of your ability, right? So I'm not saying you should go overboard and and nail every single thing, but if you you are showing that you're making an effort to the best of your ability, you're really not going to have any issues from a lawsuit perspective. You might get these frivolous accusations, but you're going to win every time. And it's frustrating you have to do that, but but look at the bigger picture. Look at the the fact that you're in the hospitality business. You're trying to be hospitable to people, some of whom have disabilities. You need you to. You should be,
1: always do right by your you guests. You should be
0: doing what you, you're doing, not because it stops lawsuits, but you should be doing what you're doing because it's the right thing to do in the hospitality. That, that's industry. true, but I think
1: there's there's two sides to that coin. I think one, you always have to be. You're in the hospitality business. You have to be hospitable. You know, that goes without saying the other thing too is we just said it twice <laughs> well I did say it that, so that goes with saying but my, issue, my point is when we've seen these suits it typically has not been a disabled guest bringing the suits to the hotel it's typically been an advocacy, advocacy group you know, the ones that we've seen were, was out of another state looking at our site saying if they were going to book they would have issues with it so I kind of feel like there's, there's two things you have to do. One, you have to make sure that your your property, which from an ADA perspective, this is not new. Your property has to be accessible. Two, you have to make sure your site is conveys how accessible you are. But then part of it is just ticking that box, saying that you've made those steps to make sure that your website is, is clear and easy to read. Because you don't want to get caught by some advocacy, advocacy group that is just looking to make a dime off. But
0: that's the point, right? I think we're looking at it the wrong way. I don't think we should be ticking a box because of an advocacy group making accusations. We should be doing what we're doing because it's the right thing to do for the guest, right? And we should be talking to guests with disabilities, and when they bring up an issue to us that, hey, it would have been helpful for me if I had seen the height of the bed, so whatever that is... We need to take that into consideration and apply that yeah. to all future guests and say, thank you for letting me know. We'll make sure that every guest coming now knows that information. Yeah.
3: You know? I think you're both spot on with it. It's that it can be overwhelming to know where to start for a lot of hoteliers. So for sure, yeah. they'll know it's the right thing to do. But at some point you do have to have a list of boxes to know and they're going to leverage tools and, and stories like this to try and figure out where to start.
0: Yeah. I, I agree. I, I just think that the narrative of the conversation oh, yeah. has shifted towards more of, man, this is this is difficult. This is a pain. I'm going to yeah, stop there. Don't be grumpy
3: because you need to do the right I thing for I apologize,
0: Pete, just having a coughing fit. Sorry. <laughs> Are you finished, Pete? I think I'm good. Let's All go right. ahead and
1: keep on moving forward. All now. right,
0: Kelsey. What were you saying? Sorry.
3: Well, I just, you shouldn't be irritated that you yeah. have to do something that's right for people. Right. Uh, an approach, I think you said it perfectly, is you don't have to have it perfect. You don't have to do all the things. It's within what you're able to do, but don't lose sight of the why yeah. in these initiatives, right?
0: For sure. And that
3: it, it goes straight into the data privacy stuff too. All
0: yeah. the
3: GDPR, all of these laws that are coming down. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. It's the right thing to do.
0: Exactly. People are complaining, man. This is a lot of extra cost or a lot of hoops to jump through, but. Think about it from the consumer's perspective. They don't want you to misuse their data. There's a reason these laws come. In 9 out of 10, a lot of these laws happen, especially on the data data side. They, they come into law because marketers misuse data. Like if we did right by the consumer, they wouldn't need those laws. But the problem is one or two bad actors are going to ruin it for everyone else. So you know we have to live by these laws. And it, it's probably a good thing ultimately because the consumer wins
3: yeah well said
0: cool man that's a good news Aru it's really interesting that we just i literally a couple of hours ago had that similar hmm. conversation on lauren gray's show but now we're having the conversation here and that's completely a fluke yeah. you know well, you it's, it's a good
1: thing that that is just it's in the the conversation overall right. i think that's important that will at least get us to the point where yeah. we're helping our guests the best we can yeah and if
0: you're uh, unsure where to start like kelsey said go go there's lots of resources online and like i said our episode episode 85 of this show was a good foundation but just go google google it and talk to people there are lots of groups out there that are advocates for dis- people with disabilities they can help you they can guide you talk to guests that have disabilities about what you can do better to serve them next time just have conversations with people and you'll you'll figure this stuff out it's not it's not tough you just got to put some we- effort behind it
3: we talk about the focus of this internally at Navis quite a bit because we have a lot we have to do around PCI and data privacy because there's a great deal of information that passes through our systems. Right. And we try and train our clients in the industry on the importance of the data privacy in ADA. And it's not the sexiest topic, honestly. Right. It's not the fun, shiny new marketing trend. But what people need to realize, like you're saying, is it's about the consumer and the right thing to do. And there's also a great deal of risk involved as well. So those are two very important things to keep in mind that, hey, yeah, no, it, it's maybe not a new way to design something or a new way to do targeting and social media, whatever. But it's it's perhaps one of the most important things you should be working on right now at your yeah. property.
0: For sure. And one of the things I really admire about Navis, and, and not a lot of people know this about the history of the company, but when, when PCI was really coming to the forefront Navis basically stopped all development on their products and and went back and made sure everything was PCI compliant. They re-engineered almost all of their technology yeah. so that they could be level one PCI certified. That was a huge yeah. investment that in the short term didn't help them, you know, didn't generate revenue for Navis in the short term. But it was the right thing to do because if they hadn't, you know, it, it it's going to cause problems down the line for all of their clients. So. That was a really good visionary thing that the leadership did.
3: I'll pay you later, Stuart. <laughs> <laughs> uh. No, seriously. I mean that we we call our we don't call our clients customers. We call our clients clients because they're in our protection, right? Yeah. We are there to serve you. And if you are working with a vendor or a CRM or um, any other tech partner that's not PCI certified, you as a hotelier are liable if anything happens to the vendor, right. even if it doesn't have all that much to do with you if we at navis were hacked our clients would have been liable for it right, because the they're the ones collecting really the
0: credit cards at the end of the day and the same with gdpr you know as the data yeah. controller you the hotelier are the one that's liable you might have processes like a fuel like a flip to like a navis but they're just the processes at the end of the day you're the controller who decides what data is getting stored and where it's getting stored it's on you legally to make sure that things are being done the correct way so yeah, that's that's a deep conversation, that <laughs> I didn't expect us to get in from that article. But it, I think you can it's really invite important. me back. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe we'll do a follow up episode on privacy yeah, and I'll and come security. with
3: worksheets, checklists, all of that.
0: There you go. So speaking <laughs> of that, so let's jump into the topic. So, so the reason we we had you guys on the the show and, and why it, it it seems random is like what what does Flip to and Navis have to do with each other? Um, but they did a webinar a, a week or so ago uh, on this topic of. Um, of influencer marketing which is something that's really buzzing right now in the industry I think a lot of people are trying to really figure it out and one of the things that really stood out to me in the webinar that they did is they really dug into the data and, and Kelsey you're a data nerd and I really love that about you she's got worksheets and spreadsheets and all kinds of stuff that, oh, that you can use to help you when you're planning this stuff so we're gonna to link to all that in the show notes which is gonna be at fueltravel.com travel.com slash podcast click on episode 110 We'll put all those links in there. But you guys are really getting into this in a nerdy way that I really appreciate. And I I felt like our audience are going to really appreciate that as well. So that's kind of setting the tone. So before we get into that, we did do an episode, um, like I said, episode 96 on influencer marketing. And for the stat of the week, Melissa, you want to do the jingle?
1: It's the stat of the week. The stat of the week. Stat of the week. Stat of the week.
0: So what? So we had some stats in that episode that I think are still relevant. Right. multiple stats this week.
1: So stat number one is 90% of micro-influencers use Instagram to post their original content. Okay. Stat number two of the week, 97, 97, that's a <coughs> big number, of 97% of micro-influencers Influencers say they charge less than five hundred dollars for Instagram posts.
0: So this is not an expensive channel. No. To, to tap I think into. most
1: people have five hundred bucks laying around.
0: Yeah, and we'll get into um, you know advocacy and stuff like that in a minute. Which it doesn't even have to cost you anything when you're really looking at it in certain ways and looking at the micro influencer as your existing guest. It can be completely free or close to it.
1: And the last but not least out of the week is influencers on Instagram with fewer than 1,000 followers will see about 8% of their audience like their posts.
0: Yeah. It's a very heavily engaged platform, Instagram, for sure. And it's one that inspires things. So for travel especially, it's really, I think it's an underutilized platform for a lot of travel i still think facebook by far is number one place you want to work when when especially when we get into some of the case studies that flip two are going to jump into in a sec but i think in in instagram is as close number two there you have it all right so let's kind of start by talking about we talked about this a little bit in the last episode but i want you guys to chime in with your perspectives too so kelsey and ricky Let's let's talk about what what are macro versus micro influencers. What are the differences between those?
2: Yeah, so that you know that's an interesting question, and it really it really kind of boils down to who you ask. Um, when we did the the webinar last week, um, you know, I I did some I did quite a bit of research on that just to kind of see because we we sort of flipped to we sort of had our own definition for what a micro influencer could be. Um, we looked at it, um, you know, really from from the standpoint of not really having done a whole lot in the influencer marketing space, but having a data set that lended itself really well to that to that world and said, okay, can we try and pinpoint in this data what would make sense in terms of like classifying micro versus uh, versus macro? Um, and it was actually pretty, pretty tricky to do. So so what I did is I just went online and I just did a quick Google search and said, All right, you know, what how does how does the internet View this. Like, what does the what does that breakdown typically look like? Um, when you're looking at, uh, and and you really only need to define one, because by defining one, you sort of by proxy define the other. Um, so I looked at Marco Influencer um, just to kind of get a sense for what that might be, and I found just a very wide range of different definitions um, from a lot of different sources too. So it, it you know, one source said anywhere from 2,000 to 50,000 followers on a single platform. Um, another one said any more than three thousand, which I found kind of weird that you would just, you know, anyone under three thousand just seemed to like not even hit their radar. I thought that was a little, little disingenuous. A mm-hmm. thousand um, to ten thousand, ten thousand to five hundred thousand, and then anything less than ten <laughs> thousand. So well basically, range. so all over the place. Yeah. Right? So basically, nobody knows what a micro influencer <laughs> is. Um, so we, so the good thing about that is that that kind of leaves us open. Uh, And and also, anyone listening to this, too, kind of leaves everyone open to sort of define that for themselves, which I think is cool, you know, rather than it being handed to you saying, hey, here's a marketing tactic, here are the rules, you need to do this, this and this. It's really one of those things that's still kind of open ended at this point. So you can pick and choose what you want and then sort of take it from there. And we'll, you know, drill down a little bit into like what take it from there actually means. Um, But uh, but yeah, so. I'm going to get in when we start doing the case study stuff, I'll get in like really specifically about like how we defined it at Flip2. Um, but from a micro-influencer standpoint, you have that. Then you also have the fact that um, they tend to be um, connected with a like a very specific niche. Um, larger influencers kind of tend to, to not do that so much, although and I think um, Kelsey has something to add to that, too, that the larger influencers now are starting to maybe trend a little more in that direction which I think is super interesting because, you know, I think maybe they're starting to see, or maybe the industry in general is starting to see that micro influencers are hugely impactful. And you know, what can, what can larger influencers take away from what they're doing to like capitalize on that, on that popularity. So Kelsey, did you want to elaborate yeah. on that? Yeah.
3: You know, I mean you, Ricky and I, you and I have had this conversation that they the concept of influencers new and it's still evolving. I hadn't quite frankly um, I'm a, I'm a pretty connected marketer, you know, I like to keep up on the trends, but I hadn't heard the concept of influencer until maybe two and a half, three years ago. Uh, And now it's, it's blowing up where most marketers are like, yeah, okay, we need to figure out a strategy around this. And I think that because of that evolution, it's also becoming extremely crowded. And consumers are recognizing now what this is as well. But if you look at, the decision-making process and how consumers are deciding to trust brands, the personal influence and word of mouth component of it is so important that I don't think it's going away. I think it's only going to continue to grow. Um, I mentioned this in the webinar too. I think people like to joke about the firefest things and there's a lot mm-hmm. of ways you can do influencer marketing bad, but that's just when it's done bad. Mm-hmm. There's so many good ways you can do it that I know, Ricky. you have some <laughs> awesome client case studies to share on it. Um, But I think that the larger influencers are having to find a niche. It's very less trend-driven because they have to serve on something specific to really drive the mindshare within a particular type of demographic or psychographic audience.
0: Yeah, and I think that's the thing.
3: I I think personas are important too
0: yeah we'll, we'll jump into his personas in a sec because I think that is really important and, and I think it's interesting what you said about the term influencer marketing is relatively new right within the last two or three years but it's not a new concept <coughs> in theory right because really it, it's no different than endorsement and, and how that happened in the past when we're talking about it on a, on a large scale when we're talking about the Kim Kardashians of the world that's no different than Michael Jordan being on a, on a basketball shoe it's very very similar but what, what's happening now, is it's the same with all kinds of marketing, right? The internet has created an opportunity to access people that weren't accessible before. And so this concept of, and, and you, we use macro micro-influencer, but I really like how um, Flip2 refers to the micro-influencer more as an advocate, right? So especially someone that is not necessarily a pay-to-play type of influencer, but someone that's actually experienced the brand and is passionate about the brand, and they become someone that is a champion for your brand authentically and organically so you're not even necessarily having to pay them to do it but they influence others and one of the things i've learned from just our conversations over the over the years with with flip to is the the type of audience that you're trying to reach right your persona and we'll d- dig into mapping those out but your pers- your best persona looks a lot like your existing guest right so when we think about who's staying with you, their friends and their family tend to look and act a lot like they do. Because people, it's its human nature that we tend to surround ourselves with similarity. right? We tend to surround ourselves with people that with, with share values, that share geography, that share whatever it is. So we tend to look at our circle of influence on Facebook, for example. If you looked at all my friends on Facebook, they're similar <clears throat> people to me. With, that are gonna enjoy similar things to me, so if I'm out there advocating for a brand, they're a lot more receptive to that because they trust me, they know me, they know that I res what I like resonates with them. So that advocacy concept is something that that I think is really really new and something we as marketers haven't had access to until the internet's really and social media specifically has really allowed us to get into that.
3: Yeah. And that advocacy plays really well into guest relationship and experience and how you then continue that. I mean, really all you're doing is taking that guest relationship a step farther with the ones that have a high social impact. And then you're showcasing that with their peers and that group that they have this similar um, lifestyle and personality and preferences. And again, I think having a clear picture of your personas, I mean, we, we touched on this just for a sec, but every brand every marketer every hotelier and vacation rental manager they they've got to have a clear understanding of the personas that are driven to their property um, and then build those preferences out in their marketing you got to be speaking to it your audience doesn't care what you have why you think it's important it's about how it's going to fulfill their own needs uh, and leveraging your influencers to do that and make it's going to make it a lot easier
0: yeah for sure so let's let's dig into personas a little bit do you do you feel like the clients that you deal with when they come to you guys do they typically have that nailed down do they know who their audience is when they come to you guys
3: no no not most often i think actual i mean i'm in b2b tech software marketing i have a very clear buyer persona, I have a user persona we know their demographics their psychographics which are going to be what their preferences are, interests uh, if they have a dog I mean you can go really intense with it
2: Do they and have a I dog? Think-
3: um. No. Typically, they don't. No. <laughs> revenue managers. I'm just kidding. <laughs> Marketers have dogs. Revenue managers, not so much. Yeah. That makes but, total sense. Yeah. And then when I our clients that I I had this conversation with um one of our long time uh, vacation rental clients at our at our conference a couple weeks ago, he's like, you know, I've been. I know these are important, but I just can't get my team to to really embrace it and to get it off the ground. And I was like, well, maybe what they're thinking the end result has to be is too much. And it's absolutely going to evolve over time. We we talked about this at the beginning. It's bite off what you can. Keep it simple and just stick to what is the importance and the purpose of doing it and helping you better connect with your guests and potential guests. So just find out why are they coming to you. And often it's going to be less about the amenities and the ancillary offerings you have or how much you love the pool you guys just built. Often it's actually about the experience. And I think a lot of hoteliers really know this innately, but they're having trouble defining it and making the connection with that desire and how their brand messaging plays. And this persona piece of, okay, write it down. Just write it down. It doesn't... break it out in a couple categories of why they're coming what they like what they have challenges with in their lives what their problems are um why a trip is gonna why a trip to your property is gonna solve it and that's gonna be the starting point yeah and And that's gonna make a huge
0: fact and for people struggling to come up with that the the best advice i can give them is to go talk to your guests right the the best properties by none that do, do a good job of the experience good job of marketing are the ones where the staff are engaged and especially when the leadership at the property are engaged. If you, if you have the type of GM that's hidden in his, his or her office looking at spreadsheets all day, you probably don't have your finger on the pulse of what's going on in the property. But if you have a GM that's out there shaking hands and smiling and talking and getting to know the guest, this persona stuff is not that tough because once you've spoken to a few hundred guests over the course of a few weeks or months, Patterns start to emerge. You start to understand where they're coming from, why they're staying with you, what it is that made them choose you versus the competition. Once you can understand that, the whys, then you can really start to paint these kind of broad Mm -hmm. pictures of who your personas are. Well,
1: the other, other thing to consider as well is the GM most likely has a very good idea who those people are. The idea of the persona is to basically download that guest from the GM so that the marketing team and everybody else also has access to it, right. because it's, it's always tricky. Because like if you go to GM, they're like, "Oh, my guest is this, this, this." They're driving a, you know, 2007, whatever it might be. But if the marketing team doesn't know that, then you start having that disconnect. So you gotta have the persona yeah, to help everybody on the process, same page. Yeah.
0: And that's why I, I think it, it, you know, depending on your situation, if you're multiple properties scattered around and you're you're marketing those. That can be more of a challenge. You've got to be in contact with you know with mm. the people who have boots on the ground. But if you're in a single destination, you only have a couple, or one or multiple unit properties in a single destination. You as a marketer need to be going out and meeting yeah. with the guests as well. I think that really gives you a lot of insight into what's working, what's not, and who these people really are. Yeah, in my, I love the- in my
3: go for it, Ricky. Uh,
2: Sorry, I was going to say, in my experience, what we what we've seen is that a lot of times with hotels, especially. They tend, to, they tend to know the stuff that's very easy to know. So in other words, like you know, trying to develop a demographic or persona based off of like booking data, for instance. You know, it's very easy to just say to your booking engineer, your PMS, you know, I need this info, and if it has it, it gives it to you, and if it doesn't, it doesn't. And you look at that and you say, okay, great, I know, I know who my customers are now. And you know who your customers are only to the extent that you have you know, four or five data points on them right? And you don't need a lot of data points to start digging into those personas deeply enough that you can make marketing decisions that will actually help. But you need to go deeper than just the reservation data, um, which is generally where, again, in my experience, generally where people tend to stop because it's the easiest stuff to get because it's just just there. It just exists and it just comes to you easily.
3: You're you're completely spot on. And I'm glad, Stuart, you said that it starts with the conversation with the consumer, with the guest. One of my favorite sayings we have on my marketing team is your opinion, though interesting, is irrelevant. <laughs> if you don't have the data behind it and you're not asking and getting it direct from the source, you could be interpreting it wrong. You could be driving connections to their preferences from PMS data. That really is just your your assumption, and you're mirroring your own thoughts and that's that's not going to get you anywhere. We say that about website design here. Yeah, <coughs> your opinion yeah, I think does you not and Melissa matter. Just became best friends.
1: <laughs> <laughs>
0: <laughs> For sure. So let, let's kind of jump a little further down the rabbit hole and let's talk about let's assume that these folks have the personas figured out now. We might need to do a whole episode on defining personas. This is probably a good idea. But Let's assume they have personas. How, how do they go about figuring out who, and, and I'm not talking about advocacy, I'm talking about more like the, the micro-influencers that have an audience, a niche audience. How does one go about figuring out who should I go reach out to? Who should these influencers be that I, and I, I like that you, um, the, the phrase one of you guys made in the notes where you talked about a squad of influencers, like a group of people that kind of target your audience. But how do you go about finding your squad and putting together that team?
2: yeah so there's there's kind of two ways to do this Um, you can do it you know with micro influencers and that and that's the the good thing about them is also the thing that makes it a challenging group to work with in some ways is that they're not super easily identified Um, if you want to do it the the hard way sort of the manual way um, you really need to have someone taking a look at all the all the folks or at least a sample of the folks that are coming in and staying at your property and doing, doing a little bit of social media stalking on those people. Um, now, to the extent that their profiles are public, there's nothing really creepy or weird about that. Because, hey, they made it public and uh, they gave you enough information that you can, that you can go and do that. Um, now, it can get creepy depending on what you do with that information. But maybe that's another episode, you guys. <laughs> yeah, we we <laughs> wanted like to do to... creepy episodes every now and then. <laughs> yeah, okay. Save that for like Halloween or something. Um, <laughs> It's that creepy, but no, I mean, if you're just kind of looking to see like, Hey, you know, what is this person involved in? Do they, do they run like any kind of groups? Are they managing like any communities? People that tend to do stuff like that will kind of self report within their social media. So you don't, you don't really have to look very far to do it. It's just, you have to cast a very big net to do that. And that's a lot of work. Um, It's becoming
3: a natural thing too. People on social know, like they know what they're exposing and they know that marketers are now using this.
2: Mm -hmm. yeah totally totally yeah i mean uh, and people you know there are people who run communities online and you know they're you know relatively you know i'm air quoting over here but they're relatively normal typical type communities and they just don't want people to know that they do that and that's fine there's nothing wrong with that so that just kind of adds like sort of another another kink in the uh in the chain there that makes it a little tricky to to find them but it is one way to do it Um, The other way to do it is to use um, various solutions that can help you do that. Now, full disclosure, the case study stuff we're going to look at today, obviously it's going to be data that the Flip2 platform has collected from customers. So we can help with that, but I don't want this to be like, hey, you know, come work Flip2 because we're going to help you find influencers. That just happens to be sort of a side effect of what an advocacy platform does. We're able to get that data about um, uh, folks on social media just by virtue of what we do. But if you're managing marketing, you're managing social media for your property, if you're doing this stuff, part of that strategy, a fundamental part of that strategy, is just paying attention to what folks are saying within the communities that you belong to. And that doesn't mean you stop at my hotel was mentioned. That is that's like the bare minimum of what you need to be doing. You need to be looking at, like let's say you're in um I don't know, well, let's say you're in Myrtle Beach, right? Um, you don't need to be looking at, you know at my hotel being mentioned on Twitter or Facebook or Instagram or whatever, you need to be looking at like, okay, what's going on in your neighborhood in Myrtle beach on Instagram and on Twitter and on Facebook, what's going on in Myrtle beach on the whole across those social platforms. And you need to be a part of that conversation. If you just do that and make that kind of a standard part of your practice, you'll pick up on these things just organically. You will just start to see, just like you said before about, um, personas and whatnot, just organically, you'll start to learn these things and pick these things up. And then it'll become second nature. It's when you don't do that stuff and you don't have those practices that finding these people can be really, really tricky. Um, and you're going you're gonna to struggle a little bit with it. And I think, I think that's why people tend to focus a lot more on the macro side, because you know, in our definition of a macro influencer, it, it tends to be their job. So, it's not in their best interest to be invisible. They're going to be raising their hand, going, Hey, you know, like a lot of the hotels we talk to say, like, yeah, they come to us all the time saying, Can I have a free room? Can I have this? Can I have that? Like, they're going to find you. With micro, it's a, it's a completely different uh, situation.
3: Mm-hmm. I have a creepy story, if you guys want to hear it.
2: Always. We love creepy stories.
1: So,
3: several years ago, I was on the marketing team of a hotel and was trying to figure out a way how to get this micro-influencer program off the ground. And there's, There were no real tools. Um, we didn't really have Flip2 at the time, which I'll just say it for you, Ricky. That's really one of the only platforms I'm aware of that's really effective at finding those micro-influencers. But what I did was I would export our pre-arrival lists every uh, like Thursday night or Friday that were for the weekend. And then I would physically map the email addresses of all those guests through clout. And it tells you mm-hmm. how much influence they have wow. socially. Mm. Yep. And then I would deliver, the I had these custom cookies made with <sighs> uh, like the social icons. So like the little Instagram camera and the Twitter bird. And I, and I personally would deliver it to their rooms before they got there. And I'd only pick out the top 10 Mm. highly manual, extremely creepy. It was effective though. And I needed something to prove, Hey, this is worth investing in a tool that's going to help us do this. And here's the content we're generating from it, you know, and then there's a whole host of ways you can justify your time and expense on that of, Hey, it, we got all of this content for free now. I don't need to do this photo shoot, whatever. If you get people who are talented enough in photography, typically who you're looking for anyway. But um, that's just one way to do it. There's certainly tools um, just to give some like tangible specifics for macro, um, like sumo Clout, like I mentioned, Follower Wonk. Those are gonna. I mean, there's there's a few others for macro identification. Those are people who are identifying themselves of hey. I'm an excellent fit for your brand. Pay me money or give me trade or whatever. And then the micro side again. You know, there's. Um, it's going to be a little more manual because they're harder to find.
0: So what uh, was what was the feedback you got from that when you were doing the the, the crazy cookie stalking? What, yeah. What kind of feedback did you get? So
3: they crazy cookie stalking. Is that going that's gonna follow me forever? Yeah. <laughs> I just know it. Um, so we didn't get direct hey thank you so much. We didn't get any of that. They just acted on it. Yeah. And the and the way I enabled that was with this plate of cookies, it was a letter hand signed from me saying, "Hey, we're so glad to welcome you. We hope you enjoy your stay. I'd encourage you to check out these things happening this weekend or or amenities that I I personally thought cuz I didn't have the data to know what they're persona or demographic preferences were or psychographic preferences but I would encourage them to do a couple things and say hey while you're enjoying it if you wouldn't mind tagging on these channels in this way we'd really appreciate it Mm -hmm. and they did it yeah probably 80 percent of the people did it and they had the following and and I then I just reshared it and then I had social content off of it Mm -hmm. and that I count as a really positive response
0: yeah for sure all right so we we have a joke here at the fuel podcast where we always talk about how every episode is going to be a quote-unquote short episode and then for whatever reason every episode ends up right around an hour it's it's the craziest thing so we were saying before this show hey this will probably be a short episode but we're already at like 50 minutes almost and we haven't even gotten into some of the data stuff so let's jump jump into that ricky (laughs) Um, so you want to talk about some of the case studies that you guys had on the webinar? Because it's really interesting. Yes.
2: Yeah, so so for the webinar specifically, we did a case study around um, around an entire destination. We actually used the entirety of um, Myrtle Beach. And then we also focused on about 30, uh, or simply aggregated the data from about 30 different accommodation providers within the destination. So we've got traffic into the destination itself, but then also specifically traffic into um, 30 properties, roughly 30 properties within that market. Um, and that gave us a, a pile of information from which we could start kind of poking in and starting to see where, where are these micro influencers? We know they're there, but where are they at? Um, it also gave us a really helpful tool to be able to kind of create some benchmark for, okay, what is a micro influencer going to be? Not just in terms of audience size, but in terms of what did they do that qualifies their influence? Um, you know, a big, a big issue with this, uh, this kind of marketing right now is that a lot of people go into this uninformed, and they make decisions about who they're going to quote unquote hire as an influencer based off follower count. And we, we found very quickly in in our company's evolution that follower count does does not equal influence. Um, the the correlation between those two numbers is it is very strong. Saying size doesn't matter. Uh, yeah, maybe. Okay, something along checking. those lines.
0: Um, it's not the size uh, of the boat; it's the motion of the ocean.
2: There you go. There you go. If you needed your your oh, uh your little soundbite for the uh, <laughs> oh boy, you got that's you got a lot to from. That's from staying now. in the episode. I stand by that. <laughs> you down. got you got a lot to choose from now. All right. Um, but yeah. So this this was a this was a really powerful data set for us just to to help us sort of start uh honing and, and refining our ability to um, locate these folks. So um, with Myrtle Beach, we took about a year and a half worth of data, and what we found is that in that data set, we had approximately 59,000 advocates that we were going to be working from. So, so the goal now is how do we start trimming that number um, by a lot? We really need to drill down even deeper. Um, now, in the webinar that we did a couple weeks ago, I defined a micro-influencer as anyone with 100 to 500 followers. And if you remember back to what we said earlier, I'm, I'm at a very, very, you know, far end of that spectrum of where other people are defining it. I wanted to get like super small and work up from there, just kind of make it a little more conservative. Um, I re-looked at the numbers before we did the show today, and I actually bumped that up to 1,000. So anywhere between 100 and 1,000 followers, and that's across um, all platforms. Now, we're able to do that because we have all of this data on these people. So that's actually a pretty easy change for us to make. Um, so, what we found, um, breaking them into uh, categories based on follower count, is you found that for, the, for a year and a half, for an entire destination, entire city, they only had about 24 people that stayed, or that visited, um, that had more than 10,000 followers. So, what, what you would probably consider primarily your macro influencers, there was only about 24 of them that were organically coming into the destination over, over the course of about a year and a half that we were able to identify. Um, out of those 24, only two of them had over 100,000. And I can tell you right now, <laughs> you're looking at those two that had 100,000 plus, they didn't contribute anything of substance or value whatsoever uh, in terms of influence. Um, most of them fell in between 10 and 50,000. 50, it's about 88% of that audience. So again, we're only talking about 24 people here, so it's not huge. But what that does tell us though, and, and all of this stuff, this is kind of the disclaimer, but all of this stuff warrants like further investigating. I just wanted to share some of these initial findings that we had um, on the show with you guys today. Mm-hmm. Um, what that does tell us though, is that, that that sweet spot for not micro, not macro, may be somewhere between about 10 and 50,000 followers. So that's something that we can dig into you know as time goes on and see if there's something there but that's a something to uh, to kind of file away um, so now we're getting into the people that we really want to know more about and those are the folks that are in that range of a hundred to a thousand followers what we're defining for this for this case study is micro influencers and of that we had about twenty nine thousand so in our addition our uh, original sample set of fifty nine thousand we're at almost half of them matching the criteria so we didn't trim as much as we we'd hoped by doing that. Um, So then I'd figure out, okay, what what next? How do I dig even deeper into this 29,000 and get this down to the folks who are actually the influencers? So now we can apply that second filter on there, which is starting to look at what did they do and how many of them did that thing, okay? So for us on our platform, one of the main things that we do is we drive uh, lead generation for for our customers. So a lead uh, as defined by our platform is, our ability to convert the friend or family of an existing guest or a past guest into someone who says, hey, I here's my contact info to the hotel. Here's my contact info. I would like to hear from you more often and I would like to receive an offer from you. Okay, so these people are, not only are they opting in, but they're also showing intent. So this is a pretty valuable um, conversion. So when we talk about lead, that's a name, an email address, an offer, uh, an opt-in and them essentially saying like, yes, please send me more stuff. Um, makes sense so far. Any questions?
0: No, carry on. So you're doing great.
2: Awesome. All right. So then what I did is I said, all right, let's look at that conversion rate from how many audience members they have, what their following is um, and see how much of that audience do they actually turn into leads. That's a very tangible measure of engagement. And what we found is that out of that, sample set of about 29,000. Um, at least 1,800 of them, in fact, just, just over 1,800, um, were converting a minimum of 5% of their audience. That's which may not... be a lot of people. That's a <laughs> lot of people. It may not sound like a lot, if you're saying, oh, well, these people have very small audiences to begin with, and that's only 5%, but you're also saying there's 1,800 of these people, and as you dig deeper, it gets more interesting. We then looked further and found that half of them were converting 10% or more of their audience. So wow. that's approximately 900 people converting almost 10% of their audience. Now we go back and look at our macro influencers, there's only 24 of them, but none of them even came close to these numbers, like not even remotely close. And these are people who have huge audiences. So you would think with an audience of that size, people must really care what they have to talk about. It turns out people really don't care at all. What they have to talk about. <laughs> Um and then ultimately kind of you know boiling the data all the way down and saying okay great well you know 1800 people they convert this much blah 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 what does that actually work out to for the destination what was the tangible benefit that they were to get from this the result was they were able to grow their database by over 90,000 in a year and a half
1: that's a lot so quality
2: leads <coughs> not quality, just garbage leads yeah these are all highly interested potential future travelers that know someone who's already been to the destination. So it's not like they're sitting there going like, oh, you know, maybe we should try Myrtle Beach. Okay, well, do you know anyone who's been to Myrtle Beach? No, I don't know anyone that's been there. Okay, great, let's go on the internet and figure it out, right? That conversation doesn't really play out. What normally happens is, hey, where should we go on vacation this year? Oh, well, you know, Stuart went to Myrtle Beach and his family really loved it. You know, let's ask him what they think about it. You know, what what they do, what was fun, what was cool. And that's how you start getting into those really interesting conversations that lead to genuine interest in either a destination or into a specific property
0: yeah i mean it 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 does come back to quality over quantity right and i think like we talked about before the audience that you have and the influence that your existing guests have on a very similar audience to them is phenomenal, and, and I think it's something that's really overlooked by a lot of people, especially in this conversation, because influencer marketing has become so buzzworthy in the, in the last couple of years that everyone's kind of scrambling to figure out who can <laughs> I go after. Oh, I like health and wellness. Let's get some yoga influencers or whatever. And I think they're missing out on this this huge, huge, huge opportunity. Of hey, my guests have a circle of influence. You know, it might not be huge. But the quality is so, I mean, think about it this way, right? I, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a nerd, right? I, I'm a fan of, what, Star Wars, Nintendo. There's stuff that I, I read on a, on a daily basis about those topics. And there's certain people that I, that influence me about those topics. But when they tell me about a hotel, I'm not going to listen to them as much as I would if Pete or Melissa or my parents or someone like that I trust and know on a, on a personal level. Tell me that that is the hotel to stay at. So That's the
1: authentic- authenticity of it. I mean, I think, Ricky, it's one of your points here is that micro-influencers often do not know that they're an influencer at all. And they're just completely... Right, they or- have no skin in the game. Yeah, they're just completely organic. The r- only reason that they're sharing, in this case, your property is because they personally vouch for the experience that they They, had they
0: genuinely enjoyed their experience and want to share that with other people
1: and and i think that's when you see like the big the, uh, the big macro influencers while the term influencer marketing is probably not you know common among customers you know if you have if you're following kardashian that she's got she's getting paid to go places she's getting paid to you know, interact and, and post things on Instagram, mm-hmm. you know, but for someone who's got, you know, 150, 200, 300 fans or followers, they're just saying what they feel,
2: mm-hmm. which yeah. is incredible. Yeah. And, the, and the beauty of that is, you know, the, the, the data I've shared so far, this is just people doing what they do. Like don't, <clears throat> don't, don't misconstrue this as, you know, the destination paid these folks to do this. These are just people doing what they do. They happen to use our platform, so we're able to track it, but there's, this is all organic stuff. So, so then the, 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 the next kind of you know, step in this process is, all right, great, now, we, now we've identified who these people are. We've got about 1,800 of them, and then we can drill down to see who's the most influential and who do we want to invite back. What does that look like? What do we do now to engage with those folks and bring them back? And this is where I think the opportunity with micro-influencers within the travel space specifically is largely untapped. A lot of these people, this vacation that they took to Myrtle Beach, that's their once a year vacation. That's it. They're not going to do this again this year. So if you can come to them as, say, visit Myrtle Beach, for instance, and say, hey, we loved that you came here and you had this great time. This is awesome. We'd like to bring you back. How would you like to come back again this year? How would you like to do it twice this year? Or can we, can we cover your trip next year? Right. And then just get them in. And if you're a, if you're a DMO, if you're the, the, the destination itself, you, you have relationships with everyone in that destination to say, hey, guys, can we put on the best experience ever for these people? And of course, they're going to jump at the chance to do that. Right. They're going to do that for these micro influencers, for them, the experience of just being able to do it is ninety nine point nine percent of the time enough for them to want to do it or for you to convince them to do it, you know, on your terms or, or what have you. Um, and and that's the thing it's that it's that genuineness and that authenticity of just the fact that they got to do this thing that's so impactful and meaningful for them that this is very much an emotional play and less of okay great you know how much am I going to have to pay you to come and stay with me and you know how many Instagram posts are we going to get out of this et cetera et cetera
0: yeah really smart All right. so for the sake of time I know you had another case study we might have to save that for another episode Ricky but let's see, let's give some people some tangible take home. So if they're listening to this, if I'm, you know, a a mom and pop property in, in, you know, Mexico, and I'm trying to figure this stuff out, like, how do I get into influencer marketing? What should I do? What should my tangible next steps be? What would your advice be to them?
2: Well, so the first thing I would say is you need to be sort of omnipresent on social media. Um, That's it's an easy thing to say. Hey, by amazing. the way,
0: Ricky, that that is that is a banned word on this on this podcast. Yeah, he didn't say
1: omni-channel. He said omnipresent. Okay, that's okay. Yeah, that's omni- okay. Yeah.
0: Okay. Yeah, that's. It. I saw Melissa look at me. Her, her biggest bugaboo in the <laughs> entire world is people that say omni, yeah. omni- okay. channel Yeah,
3: omni-channel. Ugh. Yeah, yeah so, we'll, we'll
0: allow omnipresent. Okay, Omni-presence, All right. okay. Yes.
2: is Okay. Yes. Okay. Right, I don't want to offend. I don't Go want to offend anyone or irk anyone's bugaboos. There you, go. Um, you get don't her burn goat. my buttons. Yeah, you
0: burn her buttons on her goat. Is what happens when you <laughs> make her mess. Yeah. All
2: right. Um, yes. Yeah, so that would be step one: is just just pay attention. You know, just see what's going on on social. Become an active participant on social. Not just about people talking about your hotel, but own your destination, own your market, do that type of thing. Um, the next thing Kelsey kind of mentioned is look at tools. Are there tools that can augment um what you're already doing nothing's going to replace step one that just needs to be a standard that every single business period hotel or otherwise needs to be doing but start looking for tools that can enhance and augment and maybe ease some of the effort that goes into that and then once you've identified who these folks are that you want to talk to have a plan for what it is that you want them to do like don't just come to them and say like hey we'd love we'd love for you to come back what's it going to take to do that right? Like put together a plan of action and put together a package of some kind that's enticing to them that gets them in that also aligns with your expectations. Because in all fairness, it's still a business transaction. Nobody's going to look at it otherwise, but you need to be kind of working both sides of that.
3: Yeah. And Sarah from the Wigwam, uh, a client of ours on the webinar last week, she had a really great insight into setting agreements in place with those influencers you want to take the next step on and that that's the convergence really of your strategy with the micro influencers like Ricky's talking about who you want to bring back set parameters of what you expect in them uh, and then you'll want to you if you do have a macro influencer program in place you're going to want that same level of agreement as well and then the three areas that I typically recommend folks start with for measurement is number one, compliance. It's compliance to what you're asking them if you have an agreement in place. Second is brand fit. We talked a lot about that with the personas, making sure what they're talking about and the content that their followers are interested is relevant to you. And then third is impact. So to Ricky's point, more followers does not necessarily equal influence. So you can measure impact. And I've got some um, really fun crazy science data scientists ways to compare and benchmark based on the size of their audience, but the actual engagement they're driving, so that you can then stack rank influencers and it cuts out the noise of, well, this surfer has five hundred thousand followers, or Kim Kardashian has two hundred million people that think she's attractive or whatever. it's It's not about that at that point. It levels the playing field on, hey, it's working with this audience.
1: Yeah.
0: Those are awesome, guys. Well, that, thank you so much for being on this show. I, I've learned a lot. Hopefully, the audience has as well. I think this is a topic we could probably talk about for another 20 episodes, but we we probably need to sprinkle it in with some of the other topics because it's not the only part of marketing that people should be doing, but it's certainly one that I think is on the increase. A lot of the studies I've seen about you know where is a marketing dollars going right now is – People are increasing their investment in influencer marketing and, and certainly they should be. And, and based on the data that Ricky shared today, that's a no-brainer for sure. But thank you guys for being on, on the show. This is your opportunity now to give a complete shameless plug. So Kelsey, tell us tell us about Navis yeah. and where they can reach you guys.
3: Yeah. Well, and you mentioned Stuart at the very beginning too of like, is this an odd combination for Flip2 and Navis to be on here together? We're actually pretty solid BFFs. Uh, really the two platforms in our partnership give you that full picture of the guest journey. So really Navis um, proudly, we are really the only complete hospitality CRM that's out there. Uh, We all on this know that the industry is getting more complex uh, especially for marketers and the mass amounts of data that's out there. so Our platform brings together all of your guest and lead data, whether it's from your digital channels or your offline phone channels, so that your reservations, your revenue management, and your marketing teams can really operate off of that same single source of truth toward the same goals, which really what we're seeing our clients do with that is is drive more money from the demand that they're already generating. It's, Pretty, pretty fun stuff.
0: So if they want to learn more about Navis, where do they find you guys?
3: Yep. Yeah, you can find us at naviscrm.com. There's tons of webinar recordings, content, ebooks, um, client testimonials, all that great stuff to, to learn more about us.
0: Awesome. And then, Ricky, what about you guys? We talk about you on the show. I don't feel like you even need to give a shameless plug, but I'll let you anyway.
2: Yeah, I mean, you could, you could almost just like edit something from another show and just put it in here like save me the time but no, no i'm just yeah thank first off i mean thanks for thanks for having me back for the fourth time if it by the way if anyone threatens my my reign as um uh king king guest on this show please let me know ahead of time so i have to <laughs> defend my title um but uh yeah you're the, in terms mayor of
0: of, you're the mayor like on the old uh four square days so you could be the mayor when you yeah check yeah, in. yeah check
1: into the podcast yeah you're the mayor of the
2: podcast <laughs> i forgot about that that's a good throwback yeah, yeah. um yeah. I mean, in terms of, in terms of flip 2 um, you know, we're an advocacy platform and essentially what we do is take uh, word of mouth advertising and do it at a very, very large scale. But then we're also able to track all of that straight back to room nights booked as a result of, of word of mouth. Um, which is one of the more difficult things to do with word of mouth advertising, you know, scaling and, and tracking. We do both of those things pretty well. Um, you know, I, I think I mentioned this before influencer marketing is not what we do. It's not even an area that we touch. Um, it just so happens that through the data that we collect, we're able, and we're starting to do more of this now, help our customers identify who those influencers are and sort of strategically guide them on how they may want to go, go about contacting them and, and uh, setting up something with them. Um, we work very closely with companies like Navis who work at Navis uh, for many years now. They have a, an amazing team. And quite honestly, we don't do stuff like this with companies we don't like. <laughs> so we wouldn't be here if we didn't like <laughs> no. them. Same goes for you guys. Um, but uh, yeah, they're great, and we've done, you know, numerous numerous integrations with their uh, product for many many customers, um, and it's worked out really well. So it's always good to to pair up with you guys and, and do stuff like this, and appreciate the opportunity. Uh-huh. Um, finding us is easy. Um, our name is our website, Flip Two, um, Flip um, If you want to reach me, um, easiest way to do that is uh, via email, R Dunbar at Flip Flip Two. Um, and I have other case study stuff on this too. So if anyone listening would like to hear some other stuff or just get nerdy with some more data, I'm happy to share more of that stuff. So yeah, just we, can, you know. we
0: can put that data, some of that data in the show notes too, Ricky. I know you okay. prepared another case study. We just ran out of time, and to Kelsey too. Any of that nerdy stuff you were talking about with the spreadsheets, oh, yeah. we can put those in the in the show notes too. But that that's awesome. So Pete, if they want to find you. Where can they
1: find you? I'm on Twitter at p P D I M. A-I-O. And Melissa, where can they find you? I'm on Twitter at M A Kavanaugh, M-A-K-A-V-A-N-A-G-H.
0: You can find me at Stuart Butler. You can find us collectively at Fuel Travel if you have questions about this episode or anything hotel marketing or software related. You can also get the notes to the show at FuelTravel.com slash podcast and click on episode 110. And Pete, I got through the whole episode... And I didn't point out the fact there's a zero at the end of the the number of episodes.
1: Yeah, we didn't do the whole numerology thing, did we?
0: No, but you get excited (coughs) about round numbers. And this is 110.
1: We've done so many podcasts that have zeros in them that I'm kind of used used to it now. But it's (laughs) really just episode two. Yeah.
0: Is that right? One plus one plus zero. Yeah. That's that's two. two. It's episode two. Unless we're doing binary. And then it's what? Six?
1: That's out of my realm yeah 4 plus yeah.
0: 2 I think that's right no alright so I, th- I think we killed the episode thank you guests for being yeah. on <laughs> you thank you check, guys check out Navis check out Flip2 they're both awesome we have a lot of if we did a Venn diagram of clients I think there's a lot of overlap between mm-hmm. our clients and Navis clients and, and mm-hmm. Flip2 clients because people that use one or, or, or multiple of us tend to be smart people smart marketers and they tend to hey. gravitate towards smart companies that can help them drive business.
3: They just get it.
0: They get it. That's they right. Just get it. Yeah. And actually I think there's going to be, um, I don't think Kelsey's involved, but I know someone from Navis is going to be at the Otma conference coming up in May. Oh yeah. We're yeah. Be on... We're speaking there. Yeah. So there's a panel discussion on how to drive direct bookings with, Flip2, Ricky's going to be on there. I'm going to be on there from Fuel. And then someone from Navis is going to be on there as well. So if you're in the, yep. especially if you're in the Condotel vacation space, then um, the Opma, it's, it's op, what is it? TheOpma.org, I think is that URL?
2: TheOpma.org. Uh, yeah, That's the
0: best URL of all time. But if, if you have <laughs> a Condotel just... type product, <laughs> yeah. the Opma is a great organization to be a part of. And if you want to see Navis, Fuel, and Flip2 um, rocking their stuff, That's where we're going to be in in May. So you should check it out. Cool. Well, thank you for tuning in. And until next time, you have been listening to the Fuel Hotel Marketing
2: Podcast. So the most interesting thing about this, aside from that, is that National Geographic actually has a video called Cubic Wombat Scat. Hey, um, Ricky.
0: I just, I, I just think you, <laughs> you won the, um, the award of being the end of our podcast now because we always put that little <laughs> secret bit at the end after the credits. That was my goal.
2: You guys just <laughs> made it easy
0: this time. Congratulations.